Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. How many of you have seen the films Happy Gilmore, Big Daddy, Grown Ups, Grown Ups 2, You Don't Mess With the Zohan, So Let's Go, and so many other great classic comedic uh, belly laugh worthy films? Well, today I have the absolute pleasure of introducing you to the, the incredible director of those films. His name is Dennis Dugan. Now, Dennis is probably one of my favorite directors when it comes to uh, making comedic films. He is a director, actor, writer, artist, and he's a comedian himself. And he's pretty damn funny, let me just say that personally. Uh, he's known for his partnerships with Adam Sandler. I'm pretty sure everyone knows who Adam Sandler is. And if you don't, why? <laughs> Go and have a look at any of his films. But uh, Dennis and Adam have done films such as Happy Gilmore, Big Daddy, I Now Pronounce You, Chuck and Larry, You Don't Mess With Zohan, Grown Ups, Grown Ups 2, Just Go With It. I'm pretty sure a lot of you would know Just Go With It with uh, Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston as well. So many great scenes in that. Jack and Jill, uh, National Security, The Benchformers, and so many others. But this was truly a fun conversation for me to get to sit down and unbox the stories of none other than the man himself, Dennis Dugan. And man, I think you guys are going to love some of the stories that he shares. We do talk about uh, Big Daddy in here. We talk about uh, Don't Mess With Zohan. We talk about his latest project, which is Love, Weddings, and Other Disasters. You can go and watch that on Netflix. It is pretty funny. Let me just say that. And my friend Keaton Simons is a part of it. He does most of the music in that movie, which is pretty cool to see him uh, towards the end of the film busking and then they rope him into the wedding. Anyway, I won't spoil too much of it. But I will say uh, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Dennis and I. Uh, It was really fun for me. But if you do get something from it, please share it around to all your friends and your family that everyone know about this one. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review 
over an Apple podcast if you do enjoy this conversation. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into this story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than the comedic director himself, Dennis Dugan. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to listening to your BS. I mean, uh, chatting with you. (laughs) Well, hopefully it's not too much BS. (laughs) Hopefully we can keep it a straight line if there is such a thing. Whatever you want. You do whatever you want. I'm really, really, really looking forward to unboxing your story today, my friend. The very first question I do have for you is a question that I normally ask all my guests at the very start, but I'm very curious of your answer to this question because you've had a lot of successful things happen in your life. So what does success look like for you? Um, uh, well, I, I, it, it depends because I, I, you know, when we do, you know, the, some of the Sandler movies where they made like tons of money and people loved them and, and, uh, they were huge financial and sort of comedic successes. Uh, so I enjoyed that. Um, but the movie I just did last year called Love, Weddings and Other Disasters, mm-hmm. um, you know, we got killed because we couldn't come out in theaters because of the pandemic. And so it just went into the streaming ether and you don't, you know, I mean, people call me up and say, hey, I saw the movie, I like the movie. But it isn't like th- that sort of success that you that I'm used to in terms of the- theatrical success and, and renown. But I had as much fun doing that for uh, almost zero dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, but working with, you know, Diane Keaton and, and Jeremy Irons and me, and uh, a bunch of my friends, and um, I just, that was to me as successful an endeavor as, as, as the big ones. Mm. Um, I think the success, uh, what I consider success is I, I get to do what I do, um, and I have great friends and a great family, and um, I'm ha- having fun despite the pandemic. Mm. So I don't know. That, is that enough for you for success? Yeah, of course it is. And you mentioned a film that I didn't, didn't actually mention in the intro, which is Love, Weddings and Other Disasters. And actually a friend of mine, an alumni of the Storybox, Keaton Simons, uh, wrote the soundtrack for that, I believe. And, and he, was, he was actually telling me about it when I was interviewing him. So I'm I'm interested in from your perspective as a director, why what attracted you to that project in particular? Um, well, I was walking into this very office, and uh, in my house, and my wife said, "What are you going to do?" And I said, "I'm going to write a script." This is like 16 years ago. I said, "I'm going to write a script." She said, "What's it about?" And I said, "I don't know. That's I'm going in to figure out what I want to do." And as I'm closing the door, she says, "Write a, a wedding movie because I love wedding movies and they always make money." Well, she was right. She was half right. So uh, uh, I came in here and I thought, okay, well, I could write a wedding movie. And then I started going through every wedding movie that had been made. And it seemed to me like every wedding movie that had been made had been made. 
And so I started thinking about because I love the I love the structure of uh, Love Actually, the multi-story structure. And I thought, what if we do a story about people who create the wedding, but it's not really about the wedding. It's about they're trying to make the day perfect for this couple, everything perfect. And meanwhile, all of their relationships are like completely crazy. So, um, um, so I start, I started that and, and what I, I did want to have music be a, an integral part of it. And I didn't want to have, cause we have this street singer who's the sort of narrator and I didn't want to use songs that we, you know, that we licensed. I wanted the songs to be completely generic, germane to the movie. And so Keaton's dad and I had worked together on Moonlighting, a TV series, and we worked on Problem Child. Mm. And we worked on an episode of Colombo too. So we were pals. And a friend of mine said, you know, his son play, is, a, is a musician and a songwriter. And I said, well, I mean, so we met long, long ago. And I said, hey, I've got this idea. And I said, we can write our own songs. And I said, I don't know anything about music, but I can write the song. And he goes, great, we can do it. Let's just do it. We'll do it. So we were together on that, you know, for, again, it took me 15 years to get it made. And he was there for about six of them. And eventually when we were going, then I did, I, I, we had a deal where I would write the lyrics and then I'd send them to him and his uh, writing partner in, in Nashville, uh, Noah Needleman. And uh, Ian Noah would musicalize them and they'd send it back to me. I'd give them notes, send it back to them. They'd give it back to me. And then we had our songs. And then, and then we went down, my wife and I went down to Nashville for about a week and we did the score mm. in, in Noah Needleman's bedroom studio <laughs> and, and uh, did the whole, the whole score for the whole movie. So the three of us basically did all, all the composing and whatever, whatever those terms are, mm. composing, songwriting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that was, it was cool that I got to work with the father and the son. Yeah, so uh, Keaton Simon's dad is Eric uh, Eric Roberts. For those people that don't know, Eric is um, also another alumni of, of the Storybox, believe right. it or not. Um, and you mentioned there that it took you Actually, 15 I don't years. think that's his dad. Jimmy Simon's is Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy Simon's. Eric, yeah, his Eric stepfather. Roberts sorry. is his stepfather. And Eric Roberts was in um, uh, my movie uh, with... It was called uh, National Security. Yes, that's right. Yes, yeah. that's, yeah. Sorry, my bad about that. Sorry, Keaton. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, it's all, uh, it's, uh, we're all a big, one big mushy family. Yes, <laughs> it sounds like it. But you, you mentioned there, um, Dennis, that you, it took 15 years for you to basically get this made. Why did it take you so long to get it made? Well, I, when I first wrote it, we sent it out and a, and a big independent company in New York immediately wanted to do it. So I flew there, we had, did notes, I came back, I did the notes, and then I got hired by Sandler to do bench warmers. Mm. So I said, let me do bench warmers, then we'll do the movie. They said, okay, we'll just do the movie next year. 
So when I was finishing Bench Warmers, the director fell out of Jack and Jill. And so we were actually in the editing room and Sandler says, oh, the director just fell out. And I go, okay, cool. And he said, you want to do it? And I go, yeah, I'll do it. So I called them up. I said, I said I'm going to do this other one. Can we do it next year? And they go, yeah. And then we did six movies in a row without stopping. And eventually that, com that, that company broke up and disbanded. So by the time I was back out on the streets, um, uh, there was nobody. So then we, you know, the usual thing, you just try to get an actor to do it or get money and then get an actor or get an actor and then you get money. And it was just back and forth and back and forth. And then I went back and I did Grown Ups and I did Grown Ups 2 and, and, and so it, it just, it, the timing never worked. And then, and then fi finally, when I, when I was back on the streets again, uh, I, I decided to change the ages of the, of the oldest couple in the script. I said, let's go, let's get, you know, people over 70. Who, so people, cause people over 70 fall in love too. Yeah. So, uh, my, my producers said, who could we get? And I go, well, I was in a movie with Diane Keaton 40 years ago and we're, we remain pals. I said, I'll just, I called her up and I said, Hey, I got a script. And she goes, well, I'll read it. And she called me the next day. She said, I'll do it. And as soon as Diane Keaton's doing your movie, you got, you got money and you, and then, and then you got Jeremy Irons and then you got it. And, and then you're making the movie. Wow. That's incredible. The other, the other thing is that, um, uh, uh, in the in in it in it, um, I wanted the street singer to be to seem like a real street singer. You know, yep. uh, uh, I didn't want it to be who I I love like Katy Perry or something like that. Who like Katy Perry is now like a street singer, and every time you would go to her, you'd go, oh, they got Katy Perry, and then so it wasn't the street singer. Mm. So uh, so I couldn't use her or, you know, Gwen Stefani or something, somebody like that, yeah. where which would have been good for raising money. But uh, Rob Schneider's daughter, uh, when she was a kid, I put her in bench warmers and she always liked me for that because she was a kid and I put her in the movie mm -hmm. and she turned out to be L. King. The <laughs> singer who just she just got nominated today for a, a country music award with a show she did with Miranda Lambert, and she did that song X's and O's. Remember that was up that was a, a yep. Grammy. Anyway, so uh, I I I called up Elle and I said, Hey, I got this script. You know, she she's a touring singer. You know. And I said, I'd love you. So she goes, Yeah, I'll do that. You know. So that was another thing. That's how we got like music people going, Oh, cool. You got her, you know? So again, Rob Schneider, daughter thing, Eric Roberts. It's like, it became a sort of a family situation. I love all the history and, and learning how everything just sort of pieces together and, and sort of works out. And especially yeah. for the films as well, like you have been a part of some of history's, I guess you could say some of history's funny, iconic films I mean, Grown Ups is timeless. Uh, just go with it. I mean, those are the films that a lot of people actually go back to every single year and watch them. And I think the same with Love, Weddings and Other Disasters is a very similar uh, feel. 
And I, I'm very interested in a director's process and what they're looking for. And because I'm a, I'm a huge film nerd, if you can't see. And I was, I was actually, uh, my desire was to become a filmmaker one day and, and director and all that sort of stuff. I kind of wanted to be the next Spielberg, <laughs> another long story, but what has been when you first started, uh, what got you interested in film in the first place? And I want to sort of steer uh, to other questions after that. Well, um, well I, I, I grew up outside of Chicago in just a regular American, like small town. And um, my mom had gone to drama school in, in her college years, a school in, in Chicago called the Goodman Theater, which is a big deal school you know joe montaigne went there yeah uh carl malden went there carrie snodgrass do you remember her i don't know carrie snodgrass didn't she do diary of a mad housewife i think she got the academy award for it she was in she was in the uh like a couple of years ahead of me so a lot of people come have come out it's a really good drama school so i went there to be an actor and then i went to new york to be an actor and uh was there by three or four years, you know, just trying to get jobs and stuff. And I finally got a, gotten a play and uh, off Broadway. And I was so excited. My parents flew in. They saw me in the play and the play was a hit. And then like six weeks in, uh, people broke into the theater, burned the lot, stole the safe and burned the lobby down. So the, the so the play closed and I was like, <laughs> Four years I'm in New York and, and I finally get a job and, and, I, and six weeks later, you know, the guys burned the theater down. Uh, and it wasn't because of my performance either. Um, <laughs> I, I think it wasn't. Maybe it was. Uh, an angry patron. <laughs> you take the blame. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the blame. So they, they get us all together and they said, hey, we're not reopening, but we're going to open in California. So we can't fly you out and do or whatever. But if you, if you want to be there, you can open in the play in California. So I said, great, I've never been to California. So I came out and opened in the play and it was a big hit and I and I made a big hit in it. And so I got an agent and uh, uh, I actually got a movie, uh, Roger Corman, you know, if you're a filmmaker, yes. yes. right? So he was the king of the B movies. Mm -hmm. And uh, he came to see it and and came backstage and said, oh, we got a movie that you could be in. You know, it was a great. And it was a it was like, a you know, a, a really B minus movie called Night Call Nurses. And uh, uh, the, the, the undertitle was Night Call Nurses. It's always harder at night for the Night Call Nurses. And I played a peeping Tom transvestite. Uh, <laughs> in. in <laughs> in Night Call Nurses. And uh, so that was my first big film, film debut. And so then I started getting some jobs out here. So I moved out here and I was working along, you know, and, and my career is getting better and better. And I'd get, you know, some guest shots on TV shows and a pilot sometimes and a movie of the week or partner movie. And, and, but I was just confused when I, cause I had only trained in theater so when I first got here, I had no idea what, you know, at one point I was, I, I was in this scene and I was like, I had this glass, I'll see if I can hold, 
yeah. So I was talking like this and doing, and the guy said, can you hold the glass in a little in a closer to closer to your body? He goes first in, and then closer to your body too. And I go, yeah, sure. Whatever. So I'm just doing my acting again. And so I went after the scene, I went back and I said to the cinematographer, I said, how come you want me? He said, well, look through the camera here. You can see, cause I didn't think, I only thought of the proscenium of the theater, not like a, a frame of a, of, of a film camera. So, mm-hmm. He showed me, and then I asked him, but some, and he was very nice to me, and you know, kind of got me oriented toward toward acting in in television and films, and um, but I started getting interested in that, you know. So um, I won some money playing poker in New York. Uh, I won three thousand bucks in this game, and I came back to LA with my three thousand bucks, and I bought. Uh, a super eight this was film you know this wasn't mm. wasn't they didn't have phones with cameras or anything so i bought a super eight film camera and wrote a little script and then got some friends together and shot it and then i had it then i had to buy some editing equipment and you don't know this you're young you're just a kid but in that in when you're doing that you had to like scrape off a layer of the of the film and then glue the, the next shot onto it and sit there and wait, let the glue dry. And then, to, so I hand edited this, this little Super 8 film. And uh, people kind of liked it. Some, it was just friends. I didn't screen it anymore, but I just, so I did another one. Then I did another one. And uh, uh, you know who Steve Cannell is? No, I Steve don't. Cannell, he was a big, he was one of the big all time TV writer producers. He did that at the end of the thing, he'd type and throw the paper out of his. Out oh, of his yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got you now. Yeah. Rockford Files. And I just did yep. thousands of shows. And so he, I had done a, 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 some episodes of a pilot for him as, as an actor. And he said, I didn't know you wanted to direct. And I go, yeah. And he said, well, come direct for me. So I went there and I, I, I for about a year and I, I just followed everybody around and I learned everything that I didn't know about the business of making television. And, uh, uh, I, I, he said, now, okay, direct an episode. And then I directed a couple of episodes. And then I was in this show moonlighting with Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard. And, uh, so I directed the last year of that. And out of that, I got the movie problem child. So it just tumbled sort of organically but it 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 yeah it tumbled into directing mm. what a story what do you think in in your opinion um makes a a good director especially one that does comedy because you got those directors that are great at thrillers mystery those different genres what do you think for yourself makes a good uh comedic director well um the script and the cast uh, uh, which is that, and you know, there's a way to to do it, and and the good guys all do, you know, Adam McKay, yep, and you know, the best ones, Judd Apatow, they every everybody, you know, you do the script, you get good actors, you know, and you get your pals. But you get you get good funny people. You do the script, and then you just open it up, and you just let them fly. And and you know, being uh, yeah, I, I think I'm funny, and I am pretty funny. 
but I'm not as funny as, as, as those guys in their way. And, but I, but I am a good comic enabler, like a good alcoholic enabler. <laughs> I can, I can get them. I, I, I know how to stoke them, you know, and, uh, uh, and I love, I love that. I love the process of it, but you know, again, it's, it's, it's a combination of getting the right people and getting a script because unfunny people with a funny script will make an unfunny script and funny people with an unfunny script might make it amusing, <laughs> but you got, you, you got, you, you know, you gotta have, you gotta have the material and the people. Yeah. That's very true. I've noticed that with choosing actors for some of my films, it, it, I never used to work with proper actors. It used to just be my friends and my family right. and just draw right. them in and say, look, you're doing this, just pretend. And I used to try and bring the character out of them, but it wasn't really happening. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't, yeah. But for someone that you are working with, it is, it is a great actor. You are on the set, our cameras are rolling and they're having a very difficult time. Uh, getting the kind of, uh, I guess, scene right for you and, and your your vision, how would you enable them to actually get what you're after? Um, well, it just depends. You know, it, it, it all depends on the individual. Yeah. You know, and usually, usually if you cast it right, you don't have that scenario that you just came up with. Yeah. Um, um, but you know, you can just do a ton of takes. Um, and, and if it's not going well, and if you do have somebody who's a clunker, then you got to do a ton of takes and you got to get enough coverage so that one, you can, sh you know, especially when you go into the editing room, uh, you cut the film together and then you show it in a preview and there are places where they don't laugh. And, and so you go back and, and you look and you see, do we short, do we, do we cut the joke? Do we lengthen it or do we shorten it? Yeah. That's, those are your, those are your three options. Uh, sometimes you'll lengthen it a little bit because the joke before they're still laughing. And so you miss the setup of the new one. And, but the danger, the, 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 ter the terrible danger that is, so they'll go like this. They'll go, they'll, here, here's, your, here's your setup line for the next joke. And the laughter will come here. Laughter, 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 laughter. Setup line, we didn't hear it. Boom. And then this joke dies. So you go, okay, very simple. Let's just put some space, a little air in here. Put a little head on this one. So it'll go, da, 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 and then set up another joke. Mm. So you put that air in. Next time you preview it no laugh here and then there's this dead there's this dead space there you go. oh boy <laughs> sometimes you can't win yeah yeah i've noticed that comedic timing is often very very important especially in movies if you don't have it it just goes yeah it goes absolutely wrong <laughs> um for you and and all the movies that you have done uh a lot of them are comedy based and you have, you have got some good ones in there. Some of my favorite ones like Big Daddy, there's some very funny moments in, in those movies. Um, what have been some, I guess, if you, you remember some, those challenges on a film set for different movies? Have you come across some of those? Uh, what kind of challenges do you mean? Just any kind of challenge? 
just any kind of challenge, like if you've run across uh, some some difficult challenges that ended up being funny later on uh, in hindsight? Well, like the, in terms of challenges, you know, for Big Daddy, you know, we had a kid, like a six, supposed to be a six-year-old kid. And, you know, you have a very limited number of hours. You can work them every day. And the kid's in the, the whole movie. So it was going to be, a you know, a 150-day shoot. <laughs> So uh, we found twins, these two, like, amazing, uh, identical twins. And, and um, uh, the, the great thing about them was they were identical and they were wonderful, wonderful actors. And um, the Sprouse, you know, Cole Sprouse and Dylan Sprouse, who, like, became sort of, they're sort of famous teenager actors now. But they were just, they were really, really good actors. And um, uh, one of them, I can't remember which one, but one of them was funny. <laughs> the other was very soulful. Even though they were identical, they definitely had a different personality. So in, in, in most of the scenes, when, like, when Dylan's time would be up, because we'd bring Cole in later, we we could just plunk them right in and they'd pick it up. I mean, there's no way you could, there's no way I, even I could tell now. If, if we watched it back, I couldn't say, oh, see where we changed them out here. But if it was a scene that was a soulful scene, mm. I'd bring Dylan in first and have Cole do, do the backup. If it was a comedic scene, I'd bring Cole in first and have Dylan do the backup, and it really—that was—that was, that was a, a challenge that you that I because I, I just figured oh they're both going to be great. They, they had a little nuance, which really helped helped me. Mm -hmm. That's clever. Uh, the uh, the biggest the biggest most challenging uh, there were two really challenging movies. One was Zohan, mm -hmm. and the other was was uh, Love Weddings. Zohan because it was so gigantic in scope. And and we had to shoot and and we shot in Israel, Mexico, New York, L.A. And Adam wasn't in Israel because of security concerns at the time and stuff. So I shot we shot all of the beach stuff, the opening beach stuff on Tel Aviv Beach, with me being off camera, with Adam uh, being out of Adam off camera, and then we shot the other side of that in Mexico in Mexico and and uh, we shot parts of there was a there's a giant John Turturro chase scene and pieces of that were shot in in all all four in New York LA and puzzling those pieces together and a lot of them were stunts too where he dived he at one point Adams double dives across from one roof to another in Tel Aviv and lands on stage in Universal Studios. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was a that was just a thing. Keeping all of that together was 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 an amazing task. And then in in Love Weddings, we had no money to do the movie, mm. and we had only twenty six days to do this like giant movie with all of these characters, all of this stuff, and so just and we only could do 12 hour days too so it was every everything was completely against 
us being able to actually make the movie. But one is we got good weather. And the other thing is, because again, you, you saw the movie. I mean, there's tons of sets and fuck. There was a, a Greyhound race. They used to have Greyhound racing yep. in Massachusetts. And in like 2000, whenever they shut it all down. Yeah. This gigantic track that had restaurants and bars and all sorts of things. It was, it was like Disneyland for Greyhound racing enthusiasts. Um, it was abandoned. So we went there and I said, let's just make this our studio. So we, we shot, we shot all of the bar scenes, the restaurant scenes, the wedding, the wedding reception, uh, the strip club, all in this place, we just take, we just made it in. Essentially, we made it into a, a, a movie studio, and that's the that was the only way we could we we could have made the movie. Uh, and that was the challenge was they they originally we were supposed to do the movie in forty days, and we didn't have enough money. So they said, "Can you do it in 35? I go, "Yeah, sure." They said, "Can you do it in 30? A week later, and I go, "Yeah, sure." And they said, "Can you do it in 25? I go, "No, I do it in 26." And they said, okay. And nobody thought we could do it. And because of some dead greyhounds, we were actually able to pull that off. I love all this stuff. Like this is like uh, a filmmaker's heaven. <laughs> I'm ner nerding out listening to all these stories, man. Like as these are these films. I don't know if you know, but I've probably already told you anyway. These are some of the films that people are going to remember. Like my kids one day are going to watch these films when they're old enough to, obviously, and they're going to fall in love with them too. So I love how they get made because there's a whole process involved behind them and I have a massive appreciation for it. And for you as a director uh, and learning how to problem solve more more specifically, how have you become better at problem, sol problem solving when it comes to these challenges that seem to come up? Is Does it get easier over time? It does. I, I guess it does, you know, because I did when, when I got in, when I first got the movie, when I got Problem Child, that was a hit. So I was like hot. And then I did a movie for the Zucker brothers. Uh, you know, they did Airplane in those movies um, uh, that uh, that movie flopped, mm. even though we had John Turturro in it. Um, that movie bombed. And then now I was cold. So I went back to doing TV because I couldn't get a movie. And so I just did TV, TV show after TV show after TV show after TV show. And, and at that time, you were either a movie director or a TV director. There wasn't, you, you couldn't be both. Um, not like now when it's cooler to be a TV director. <laughs> uh, um, so I just did TV shows and I took every job I could, I could get. And I did good TV shows and, and, and crappy TV shows. But I kept always saying, I, I kept always saying to myself, just do them and, and make them as complex. There was one company that just wanted you to basically shoot a master and then close up, close up, close up, yeah. close up, close up, close up, master. Get out of there in 10 hours. <laughs> and they just, that's why they, they just hacked them out. And that's the way they did them. And so I, I just said, okay, I'm not going to go over. I'm not going to go over my 10 hours, but I'm going to make the shots as complex as possible. I'm going to make the master go into coverage, and do a sorts of things. 
because I, 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 I said, I could, I could just hack out a living doing this or I can get better. And if I accidentally get another movie, then, then uh, uh, I'll be ready. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. I just challenged myself all to, and, and the crews just were like, some of the crews were just like, oh, come on, just, you know, but I go, no, we got 10 hours. We're doing it, you know? So, and, and I did get better. Mm. And then I, then I got back into movies. Uh, and then, and then ever since then, I just sort of bounced back and forth. Mm. Um, um, you know, I did like a lot of NYPD blues and that sort of stuff. I do, I do, you know, bench warmers, comedy, crazy comedy. And the next week I'd be doing NYPD <laughs> So, but it was great. But that was, a, that was another whole, uh, you know, discipline. Mm. So um, I don't know what your question was, but that's the answer. Do you worry too much about the ratings at all? Does that, does that affect you? Yeah, that is, it's always a fight. You know, it's, 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 and there, these people are just assholes. They're genuine. They're, they're un, completely unreasonable. Love weddings and other disasters. I had the Russian guy, I had this fake accent that they all did. And he would say, what the feck is this? And the script said F-E-K. And that's the way he pronounced it. Feck. They come back and they said, you know, we were just about to release it. And they go, and they said, no, you're getting an R rating for, for using fuck. And I, and the, 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 the Saban people were just like freaking out. They go, I go, it isn't fuck. It's feck. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, and in the, in the dictionary, it says there's a, there's feck in the dictionary. And they went back to them. They made that argument and they said, yeah, but people are going to think it's fuck. Mm. So we had to take two of them out. We could have one. So, yeah, I, and, and I, I don't disagree that there should be a suggestion, but that that I've, I've had like battles w- with them before and and they're just un- unreasonable. And it's yeah. America, you know, and, and we've done and, and those I bet you those people are the same people who won't get vaccinations. <laughs> so my, so my, my, my statement to them is feck you. <laughs> oh, that was gold. <laughs> now, all right, I gotta, I gotta get some kind of composure and ask right. the next question. <laughs> um, yeah, when it comes to film critics, I feel like if none of them have actually gone through the process of making a film, I don't believe that they have any right to really make too much of a comment, especially if it's a negative comment. But you're going to get those negative comments that come along with it, which do suck. Uh, but what do you think uh, separates a, an award-winning film from just a, a, a normal film? Um. I don't know. I, I, I don't know because critics are just critics are just people who have a job because I have a job. Yeah. And 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 they don't they don't understand comedy at all. And you know, a friend of mine a long time ago became the 
the I don't know the publisher whatever of of Hollywood Reporter. Mm. And I said to her, I go, you got a chance to do something that's really good. She said, what? And I go, people, people like Rolling Stone, if, if uh, Bob Dylan comes out with a new album, they don't say to their classical music reviewer, um, hey, review the new Bob Dylan album. They get a rock guy or a folk singer guy who's, who, who understands that genre, which is completely different from jazz or classical, whatever. They, they have a jazz critic, they have a classical critic, they have a rock and roll critic. And so, so that person can, understands that whole genre and can place the work in the context of all the other work in that genre. Good or bad, they can say, but what, what, uh, because you'll never see, rarely ever see a comedy that is even nominated for an Academy Award or, or, or a Critics' Choice Award. Um, uh, so, so she said, that's a great idea. We're going to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and then she got involved in some turmoil and then got fired. So it never, it never came to be. But, uh, critics just, you know, Sandler gets pounded. I get pounded and pounded for my movies and, and they just keep, people keep liking them and laughing. We're doing it. We do it. The critics are the, are the $200 million worth of box office tickets. Those are good critics. Yeah. Cause those are people who saw it and say to their friends, Hey, go see that. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, you know, God bless them if they, if they, if they want to be critics, but they don't, they shouldn't come into the comedy world if they have zero sense of humor. Yeah. And I feel like as well, especially for those people that like want to look for a, a quote good movie, they kind of go on IMDb and look at the rating system. And then if it's been poorly rated, then they're like, oh, I'm not even going to really bother with this movie. But for me, I at least want to give it a chance. So I think it was uh, Jack and Jill, that movie got absolutely hammered. And it had like a severely low rating, but you watch it and you're like, Hey, this is actually funny. This actually, you know, hits. I mean, it's, it's weird, but it's a funny movie. (laughs) Um, And I think I, I feel like it's wrong as well that comedy movies don't get the justice they so deserve in the awards. I feel like, you know, Hollywood, uh, the Academy award, if I can say this, is kind of like a select, uh, select thing like most of the films they haven't really been comedy related at all they've been sort of drama or thrillers or mystery right, or right. That, that sort of thing so I, I feel like there needs to be a, a shift in the right direction that way because you got to give them all a chance yeah, I, right I, I'm, a, I'm a member you're a member so i yeah. did, did i hurt your feelings there Oh, no, no, I'm a member, but you know, I'm also in the DGA and I've said to them and they don't do it, but the DGA in the DGA Directors Guild awards categories for television, they have best TV series, best thing, best drama, best comedy, whatever gets to movies, it's best film. And I go, why, why do you separate out television, but you don't separate out film? Mm. And they go, just like you do, you go, hmm. Yeah. 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 Right. I don't know why, but we're not doing it. <laughs>
<laughs> I feel, I don't know about you, but I feel like it needs to change. I feel like we need to give those movies that, yeah, that, that chance to get, get more awards, but that's just my personal opinion at least. And I'm not, I'm not a member, so I can't really, my voice doesn't really count there. I'm a member of everything. <laughs> <laughs> the Academy, the Emmys, the, the 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 Directors Guild, the Writers Guild, the Motion Picture Academy, STAG, after <laughs> Actors Equity, you name it. Mm. I pay dues for it. <laughs> I love it. Dennis, man, I, I really do appreciate your time. I do want to be respectful of it. Two final questions for you, if you don't mind. This one, sure. I I love asking all my guests. So what do you love the most about yourself and your story? Um, uh, what do I love the most about myself and my story? I like my story because basically I, 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 I did it. I, I got here on basically not on my own, but I got here through work. I went to, I left uh, Wheaton, Illinois, and I went to New York with uh, on the weekend of Woodstock, and I had 400 bucks. Mm. Uh, I figured it out along the way. Lots of people helped me, but basically I figured it out along the way. And, uh, and so that's what I like about my story. And what I like about me is that I met my wife who actually just like made me happy and made me confident and made my, made my life. Mm-hmm. That's, cool. that's her here. You can see her here. Yeah. I'm also an artist, you know, so that's, that's her. Wow. What do you what do you love the most about her? Uh, everything. She's like the happiest, smartest. She's a shrink too, but Ooh. she's the happiest and and most positive person. For her, there's no horizon. She would have if if Christopher Columbus had come to her and said, "Hey, we want to take some ships," and uh, she go, "Here, here's some money. Go take the ship, and God bless you." That's her. Wow. Is that has that been the biggest lesson she's taught you in your many years together? She says, "Take a ship and get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone." <laughs> oh, I love it, Dennis. This has been an absolute joy uh, being able to speak to you. Uh, where can people connect with you? Find you? I mean, they can watch all your movies. I mean, that's not hard. Go on Netflix. But where can they if they if they wanted to? Can they connect with you or Anything hey, like that? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't have like, I'm not like David Spade, who like, who has, <laughs> has an Instagram, <laughs> Instagram following. Uh, I can't, I keep my Instagram to people uh, when it says friends. I actually keep it to friends. <laughs> uh, uh, the only thing, only where it's thing where you can find my artwork is DennisDuganArtist.com. That's where, that's where my artwork is. And that's a, that's a passion of mine, that's, which I, I really am, am enjoying. So that's it. I'll make okay. sure. I'll make sure that people. Oh, we finally got this that. together. We got this together. It only did. Here. We finally did. <laughs> yep. it, uh, it's a long time in the making people, but uh, we finally made this happen. 
My my last question for you, Dennis, is my all-time favorite question I ask everyone at the end. It's a hypothetical right. one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how they got it. I will just call it magic for sake of argument. They've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Um, I would like it to like him to say that he uh, uh, cared about people, um, tried to lift them up, and deep down just tried to make them laugh so they could uh, either forget about their problems or, more importantly, just ignore them. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that is a perfect send-off message. Dennis, my new friend, thank you so much for your time today, your story, and for joining me on the Storybox podcast today. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.